Okay. It didn't boot me. Welcome to it didn't boot you. Welcome to episode one of Esquiring Minds. Uh, it's a podcast where it's just three lawyer friends um, goofing around for your enjoyment, touching on some legal topics. And none of this, for uh, many reasons, should be taken as legal advice. Um, I'm one of the three. I'm Andrew Leahy. I'm a tax and technology attorney in uh, New Jersey. And uh, I have here Jake. Jake Schumer. Uh, I'm a Florida local government and land use attorney, former public defender. And Jason. I'm Jason Ramsland. I am an employment lawyer. I sue people's bad bosses day and night. Night? You're working at <laughs> night? <laughs> I'm doing this at night. Yeah. Yeah. You know, occasionally. Sometimes I send emails to send at night, so it looks like I'm uh, burning the midnight oil. I did that last night. Or because I didn't I, want to hear back from anybody in response to that email that day. I always feel weird about sending an email at like 10 p.m., and I'm like, oh, I know some people are going to check their phones and they're going to get stressed out about this. Uh, but th- I'm working. I'm working, sadly. Uh, un- unhealthily, I'm working. And the whole idea behind email was supposed to be, it's supposed to be like asynchronous, right? So you're supposed to be able to just send it whenever. But that convention has completely fall- fallen by the wayside. And I have the same feeling. I'm afraid to send emails to people you know, past a certain hour or too early in the morning. Yeah, and I'm too lazy to schedule it on Outlook to be like, send this at a normal time, send this at 8 a.m. So it looks like I woke up early. Uh, I have no sympathy for people who are going to read their emails at bedtime and get stressed out because the tools are there. People just use the tools that are available to you. You know how easy it is to set up a focus mode on your phone so that your email doesn't come in? You can even hide the app so that you don't even see your email. You can't see your email on your home screen on your phone. No sympathy. So yeah. I only do the delayed send for completely self-serving reasons. I don't care if anybody else is going to read it and get stressed out because that's on them. They have the tools. It is on me. You made, your, cho- <laughs> you made your choices. Now live with them. Uh, yeah, I live focus. with them every day. Okay, go ahead, Andrew. This is, no, no. Speaking of focus modes, we're all on uh, Apple devices, right? So Jake, have you... You're, you're the most recent addition to the a- Apple ecosystem. Have you done the whole setting up a million focuses thing? Yeah, so uh, for those who don't know, I switched to Apple like two months ago after being on Android for like five years after switching from Apple originally. Um, Jake, why yes. did you switch? I, what, which one? Which way? Why did the you first, switch to, to Apple? The first time I... Okay, so I switched to Android because my wife's phone was stolen in Barcelona. And it was a whole like... Uh, we have to get a phone, but there's a new iPhone in like a month and uh, it doesn't make sense to get it then. Uh, I switched to Apple because I was sick of getting cyberbullied by my friends in group chats with all these tap backs, which I don't know if you know, if you have an iPhone and you thumbs up a text message from an Android user, they receive a text message uh, for that right. thumbs up or they used to. And they're, Google's trying to like get revenge about that. Uh, but I was so annoyed with it that I was just like, okay, fine, I'll get on this. And my wife's on the iPhone and she can stop using Facebook Messenger to message me because she's so, so annoyed by my Oh my God, messages. Facebook Messenger to, to, to yeah. message your wife. Yes. That's that's no way to live. Uh, yeah, it's a bad sign, huh? Yeah. It's not no. it. <laughs> Zuck it's not is it. looking at all your dirty DMs that you two are exchanging. Mm. <laughs> it's It's going to be somebody. Somebody's looking at every. I just assume right now that somebody's looking at everything that I write, which would, which is kind of a hopeful feeling, also. You know, 
Hopefully mm, somebody's I, perceiving what I write. Just wait you little, just wait until your son figures out how to unlock your devices and go back and read through your text messages. Oh Puts yeah. Puts an end to all that uh, saucy mommy daddy texting. <laughs> okay. I, I believe you. That's a good point. <laughs> he'll see it when he'll believe it when it happens. Um, so we have like a couple of technology <laughs> topics actually to talk about today. The the main one we want to talk about, I think, was AI. And since we're all three lawyers, specifically how AI can apply to the law, I think, but generally just like messing around with chat GPT and, and uh, whatnot and how in the last like <laughs> couple of months, it has become a useful thing that like normal people can actually use for something like in their work. Have yeah, you guys it's really been gone crazy around? the last couple of months. Like Dolly Mini was Dolly Mini. Did that break out a couple of months ago? The that is for the uh, image generator. Um, is that when that got super, really famous, or was that earlier this year? Um, either that way, it's this year. Yeah, it hasn't been that long. I mean, it, it, six months maybe at the most. I think the big thing that broke out was the stable diffusion, being able to do it on your uh, device, on your own device, not having to have it hosted somewhere. That was the thing that sort of was a big deal maybe three or four months ago. Yeah. And so, so stable diffusion came out and Dolly, I think, is one in, one iteration of the same sort of idea. Uh, but there are these AI image generation things. And uh, now even more recently, like in the past, I don't know, three, four weeks, uh, it seems like uh, all of my Mastodon timeline before that, all of my Twitter timeline was talking about uh, like chat GPT. Uh, which I have no idea what chat GPT stands for. I'm sure one of you two knows. Andrew, you've got to know. What's GPT? Oh, I'm not Googling. Global partition Googling. table. Good, good protocol timing. Yeah. No, okay. I, so I, I wish I knew. I don't know. Okay. Well, uh, whatever it is, chat GPT is something that has come out in more than just a casual social way. Uh, although it initiated for me in a casual social way, because Andrew, I kept on seeing you uh, typing out simple, stupid little things uh, in uh, the Slack that we're in together. Right. That was like, um, we had this topic of conversation and you would just you know, disappear for 30 seconds and tell chat GPT to write an outline for this thing or write a paragraph about this thing. Uh, I guess, tell us how you got started using chat GPT. Sure. So I, I found out what it's called, what it stands for. It is Generative Pre-trained Transformer Three. So that was that was definitely on the tip of my tongue. I was oh, about that to say sucks. That. That's yeah, not that's nearly terrible. as cool as I hoped it would be. No, no, there's nothing in there. That's, you know, well, Transformers kind of cool. That's sort of like a robot. <laughs> but um, I started using it. I was a. Uh, I got a, uh, access to the beta for OpenAI. The initial, like I think GPT two. Um, the or maybe maybe one, but but one of the earlier iterations of this like type of model, this language generating model, because I just emailed them and said that I wanted to write an article about it, and I wound up publishing it in Tax Notes. And I just I was part of that kind of you may have read the the articles that were coming out maybe six months or a year ago where people would um, get an AI to write half the article, and then you know the headline after that would say, guess what? Uh, did you believe everything that was just said above? That was all written by an AI or whatever. I did one of those sort of hackneyed hmm. articles for uh, tax notes. Are you proud and of yourself? So, I'm very proud of myself. Yeah, <laughs> I stand by it. Um, and oh, I so, forgot about that article. I, I, yeah, that's right. I'd forgotten that you wrote that. Um, yeah, yeah. And it was good. I mean, it, it, you know, it, yeah. it, it did a good job. Like it, it was plausible. It wasn't, you know, like a smarter child on AIM or any of those early AIs <laughs> that were just horrendous. You know what I mean? That would yeah. break it, if you just 
answered your name as a number, it just would never respond again. It would die. That right? was that was the first article that I remember reading that like actually spooked me a little bit <laughs> about really? AI. Uh, you know, oh good, like do, yes, <laughs> yeah. So good job. I, was, I thought um, I was late to the party. I thought everybody had already done that. So because it wasn't like it wasn't an original idea of mine. I had read, I think like a Salon.com article or Slate or something where someone had like maybe a book review that half of it was written by the AI and then they, you know, you know, at the second half tell you that this is the prompt I put in and everything. But um, basically the way these things work is they have huge language models that have just been like digesting uh, pieces of writing on the internet and oftentimes, you know, copywritten works and not giving anything to the authors for, for doing this. Right. Um, And it, it, it can't think per se, but what it can do is predict how um, an idea would be conveyed in, in, in language. And so what chat GPT, all it really does is it puts it into a chat format. So you can just like, it's, it's just like um, one of those automated little bots when you go to like a car dealership uh, website or something that you can set schedules and, or I'm sorry, set uh, appointments and things. It's just in that format, but it is interfacing with this huge model of uh, generative language. And so um, the way I think I first saw it was people were using it to write um, like stupid versions of like Mambo number five, like, like write me a, a, a write me lyrics to Mambo number five, but have it be about, you know, librarians or something. And that's where I saw screenshots on Twitter around the time of sort of the Twitter uh migration to mastodon this was coming out around you know the same time and so i think the the idea that we what we want to sort of talk about is how we see it being used uh in the law generally i mean it, like you yeah. guys tell me how like what, what are your thoughts on it well i okay, like so the immediate I, I, you go yeah you go you I, have an actual experience I, with this. i started i started a little experiment uh it was this week maybe no nah, it was last week uh where i had a brief due uh summary judgment brief due on a case uh, and I thought, what better time to start trying out this particular brand of nonsense? Uh, and so I started feeding into it uh, this stuff about my brief to get it to generate paragraphs, to get it to generate like an introduction. And an introduction was about all that it was useful. So it was, uh, you know, a story about how this employee had experienced. Uh, sexual harassment in the workplace and hostility on the basis of sex with comments about like hand size and all the innuendo and nuance that goes along with that and uh, starting to drop in there uh, the names of the particular people and it pretty quickly bumped into the limitations of the program where it basically said something along the lines of like, I'm sorry, I can't write a work of fiction for you or something like that. Or oh. <laughs> uh, I, I bumped into I bumped into the walls pretty quickly. Uh, what I did manage to get out of it was a pretty serviceable uh, introductory paragraph or introductory section where I think the prompt I fed to it was, uh, give me uh, 1,500 words on... Uh, the uh, prima facie case for proving uh, sexual harassment or, or uh, the prima facie case for establishing a, uh, an initial case for a sexual harassment claim. Uh, and it did that pretty serviceably. You had to go back through and pop in the right names for people. Uh, you had to go pop in specific details because it's not really good at handling the details or specifics of a case that you feed into it. Uh, but it wrote a serviceable introductory paragraph that ended up getting rewritten a couple of times. Useful, maybe a little bit. 
uh, it's not writing briefs for me. That's for sure at this point. It so. definitely feels like a proof of concept, though. Like, I think the thing that's really made ChatGPT take off is the fact that it's really pretty good at sounding good at and doing kind of what you want, at least from what I've seen. I yeah. personally haven't used it, but I've seen, you know, stuff that you made it right, Andrew. Right. Uh, and then I saw other people asking it to write stuff about like corporate law and it would produce a summary that was maybe a little off, but I don't know about you guys, but I spend a lot of time writing emails, just like basic stuff uh, where like, I'm just trying to write something, a summary that doesn't sound stupid. Um, right. And this might be able to like something like this might be able to, I don't know, maybe take some time. I don't, in my practice, it doesn't really make sense. But it's I definitely not think, bulletproof. Yeah, no. And you you would definitely have to like go in and double check anything, like both for like yeah. ethical reasons, but also because, you know, for who knows what's what it's pulling reasons, yeah. from the ether. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I I did another experiment with it where I just invited it to and this was just completely uh fooling around, not related to anything. Uh, but I took and gave it a prompt, something along the lines of like write a thousand words about the state of landlord, residential landlord tenant law in the state of Indiana. And like, it got a lot of things right. Uh, like it figured out the security deposit handling and that you have to write uh, a letter. The landlord has to write a letter within 45 days hmm. detailing what was what the damages were for the property. And then if they don't return the security deposit or provide that accounting of what happened with it, like it got a lot of stuff right in an impressive way. And I shared it with uh, someone who does a lot more landlord tenant stuff in Indiana than I do. And he was like, you know, it's not 100% incorrect, but there are two really big problems here that I can point out in seconds. So like, it's not, it's not a lawyer. It's not practicing law for you yet. But if you need it to churn out like a lame thousand word blog post, uh, you can <laughs> start with this oh, yeah. and go and fix yeah. all of the stupid stuff that it gets way wrong. Yeah, maybe yeah, this I, eliminates the like BuzzFeed uh, or not. BuzzFeed might be the wrong example to use. Demand like, media, all those like those sites. content farms. Yeah, yeah those content yeah. farms that pay like, you know, pittances for people to just pump out words to right. juice their SEO or whatever. Um, I did that in college. It wasn't like it wasn't really a pittance at the time. I mean, it was I think it was twenty five dollars an article for like five hundred words. And I could bang out, you know, twenty five or thirty of them in a day. So it, it wasn't bad, wow. and they were, but they were all like insane prompts. You know what I mean? Like how to get ground beef out of you know carpet or something. And it's you just gotta <laughs> come up with some. You know what I mean? Some some plausible how do sounding you get ground beef out of carpet. <laughs> I think I talked about using vinegar or something. Maybe get a dog. I don't know. Club soda. But uh, there's like yeah. your enthusiasm episode about this. I think is there anyway. club soda. <laughs> yeah. um, what I've heard uh, it it likened to though ChatGPT <laughs> is um, like mansplaining as a service. Because one huge problem with it is it uh, it doesn't give any indication as to how certain it is of the answer it gives you, right? So yeah. it, it just is, it says it authoritatively oh. and clearly as though this is definitely the answer. Mm -hmm. And there's no indication that, um, you know, it's, it's hedging on this or it's not certain. And I think that would be a huge addition just to sort of like, even if it was like a color uh, coded thing where there's sentences that, you know, check the factual accuracy of this because I'm not certain. Huh. Yeah, uh, I think that would add a lot. That, it, would, it would be a great something that, that not anyway. Go ahead. Yeah. That's a, that's something that like uh cars do. Like if you're in a Tesla vehicle and you've got the full self-driving mode active full self-driving. I'm doing air quotes here cuz right. it's not. 
Uh, but if you do the full self-driving mode, it'll show you different color codes on the road that it's visualizing for you and then spitting up onto the screen. Like if it's in green or uh, I don't all have the colors wrong, but if it's in green, like I'm absolutely certain that this is where the curb is. And if it's yellow, it's not quite certain. And if it's red, it's like there might be a curb here. And so to even have some sort of visual cue that's available to the user about here's our degree of certainty about the... Uh, correctness of the content that we put into this thing that you're using here. Like I, I have to imagine that that exists, uh, that there's a degree of certainty that's behind yeah. the scenes. that's not exposed to the user, uh, but mm-hmm. that would be an interesting addition for, I don't know, chat GPT power users, maybe who knows? Well, like, yeah, it normally wouldn't be doing a, uh, you know, a legal brief. So it might not even understand the concept that it should even question how sure it is about a thing because it's just writing. As far as that's concerned, right. it's it's not different. It's the same as tell me a story. Uh, so there is hmm. no certainty involved. Um, that I, one true. thing that I was thinking about is I was, we were told in law school that we should be worried about automated e-discovery, that it was going to take over, take a bunch of lawyers' jobs. And that hasn't happened as far as I can tell at all. Um, but and chat GPT is like more flashy because it's a creative output. The output is creative right. as opposed to, you know, algorithmic algorithmically looking over documents. And I don't even know how AI based discovery e-discovery would work. That's what I was um, going to ask you. I have no you said it and I, I understand I should be afraid of it. I, I agree, I guess. But yeah. I don't know what you're talking about. Like. <laughs> How how would that work exactly? Just yeah. crawling over uh, a server farm of data and pulling out the relevant parts? I... Well, I guess to some extent it might already happen because like imagine, so you get a packet of 2000 pages in PDFs right now. What do you, right. The first thing I do is I run it through a, te- a text recognition mm-hmm. scan if it's right. not already, uh, if it's not already RCR'd. And then I search for specific keywords I really know I need to look for. And sometimes that's enough to at least get me started on something. And that takes considerably less time than what they used to do, which is get giant boxes and have associates pour over them one by one gradually. Um, So in that way, it's already the OCR process was automated, but really it's barely not automated at all. So you take that one step further, you get PDFs, you say, run these through OCR, here are my keywords, give me the responsive pages. Um, and then that's, you know, some amount of time save. Right. Uh, but I, th- it could go even further and be like, here are the keywords in the complaint or something, you know, I don't know. Um, but I think I, you'll still be checking over your, the work. I mean, so oh, yeah. I, I've done a little. I've done a little bit of like sort of experimenting. I dumped in the uh, the the regulation um, for what constitutes a business expense into this is Chat GPT. I like dumped the whole like literally Control C, Control V, and then uh, asked the question at the bottom based on this. Can I, if I'm a glass blower, can I take a um, business expense for uh, a laptop that I won't use for my job or something? Something like pretty straightforward, and it it answered properly based on the content I fed to it. And so I can see how there could be some utility there. And I've done things like I've messed around a little bit with, um, I dumped my resume into it and said, write me like an introductory um, executive summary for the top that says like, you know, what the hell I've done or whatever. It's pretty good at taking, like you feed it information in one format and it takes it and sort of just literally pastes it into another format. But I don't know 
there may be tools out there that can do that. That like an AI may be like using a bazooka to kill a fly with that. Like I don't know if you need like this huge language model to do something like that. It's basically like a template or a glorified macro or something. Yeah. So uh, that is one really interesting and useful area where this is developing right now. Uh, we call it AI. I don't think any of this is actually AI, and we could get into a huge semantic thing about it. But I agree. everybody's calling it AI, so we're going to call it AI. Yeah. It's probably more like machine learning, but AI is more buzzwordy. Or an, a, uh, a complex algorithm, like just yeah. one math equation. But I bumped into uh, and and did a little trial of, and it it didn't work probably for clumsy onboarding reasons, not because the software is bad. Uh, but I tried this software uh, that. Basically, what you do is you're writing a brief. Uh, I was writing one in uh, October or November, and uh, you upload all of your information from the case. You upload all of your deposition transcripts, all of the evidence that's been tendered to you, all of the interrogatory responses, and then you write your brief, and then you run this software over it. And supposedly, what it's going to do is go through and cite through all of that material that you've uploaded, and it's digested. And then put pinpoint sites into, you know, at this in this deposition mm. of whatever person at this page, mm. these lines, uh, this is the factual support, you know, the designated the evidence that you want to designate as factual support in this motion for summary judgment or opposition to a motion for summary judgment. It'll do the same with case law, where uh, if you're making a point and you just put in some placeholder text like cite to legal authority here and you've uploaded the PDF as part of your packet, like it will theoretically pop it in there. And so that's the kind of stuff that I'm really excited about where, you know, if I'm spending between 20 and 50 hours working on a motion for summary judgment, something like half that time, maybe more, isn't writing. It's pouring over those deposition transcripts, flagging the stuff that I know is in there and I can write in the brief, but I actually have to spend the hours, you know, command F, command V, uh, or command F, command C, command V, like copying and pasting that stuff into the brief. And so that's one of the uses of AI where not generative like chat GPT, but referential where I can give it a body of uh, work and evidence to feed into it and say, I'm going to write this thing. Now you go and do all of the work of citing to the evidence. I'm really looking forward to that getting really uh, um, narrowed down and like uh, on target. That's going to be great. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you know how I know you don't use billable hours? You're excited about all this. And this isn't like the scariest thing in the world. <laughs> I, I say that, but like all this busy work that it would take care of is like my everybody's least favorite thing to do. Um, but like, yeah, it's mostly for a, uh, contingent fee attorney. It's gotta be just a total value add to not have to do all this stuff. Um, all this busy work that isn't the fun part of lawyering. The fun part is the thinking and the puzzle solving and the, you know, argument or whatever. Yeah. Uh, copying and pasting sites and making, you know, double checking your blue booking is the it, only, only freaks love that part. Uh, I'm quite talking about myself a little bit, but not, not all the time. Oh yeah. I, th I definitely don't relish the going through the brief that I've written and checking to make sure that every single one of my citations is in the designated evidence and every single, uh, you know, every, everything that is in there is actually uploaded to the court eventually. Like 
if I could do away with that part of it, uh, God bless them if they can figure it out. I'm not going to name drop them on here because I don't want to be overly uh, critical of them because it wasn't quite ready for actual like real life use. After I tried it, I decided not to pay for it yet. Uh, so uh, I, I'm excited about the prospect though. Like they're not zeroed in, but they're getting close and I'm excited for when that day arrives. I was thinking that uh, that the true customers for these or the first customers for these might be like the huge volume firms like the Morgan and Morgans of the world <laughs> who have like thousands of lawsuits going at any given time. But they they probably already have a pretty good system of automation, um, even without the algorithms. Like if you're like they are guaranteed to have a million motions for summary judgment on any all kinds of law. Cut, you're ready to copy and paste. I'm guessing I, you know, some of my best friends work for Morgan and Morgan, uh, but I don't know. <laughs> getting awfully defensive. <laughs> I, but uh, I don't know. Um, uh, I'm sure that they have some kind of efficiency there just because for the sheer amount that they do. Um, and copy and paste is, I mean, better than an AI new generation a lot of the time. So. You yeah. just gotta plug and play your, your cases and your site in your and your parties, etc. In fifteen years, the... somebody's gonna come back and dig this old podcast episode <laughs> up and be like, look at these old guys who are so skeptical of AI. What a bunch of dinosaurs. <laughs> oh, these fools, yeah. <laughs> in my in my field, we still have people who like are only reachable by fax machine. This is like you mentioned, Andrew, you thought you were behind the you were like behind on writing about AI. Uh, right. I guarantee you, if I asked the majority of my clients, they would never have heard of ChatGPT still. So uh, okay, we are I'm not we there. are terminally online, terminally trying to stay with it. Uh, and yeah, but majority of people are not hearing about this. Yeah, I mean, I think this was pretty mainstream and that is only mainstream online, right? Because I mean, right. I somewhat regularly work with uh, older tax attorneys that have they're at larger firms and they don't write their own email like i don't necessarily find this out for some time but one in particular i'm thinking about he doesn't write his own emails they mm. get printed out he reads them he <laughs> writes something down oh on a gosh. piece of paper and he gives it to his secretary and so i'm not really communicating because like i was having some sort of back and forth with him at some point and she like broke the fourth wall and said like um i you know i'm here but i can't reach him <laughs> He's not. I'm sorry. And I was like, I'm sorry. Who who is it? Well, uh, he doesn't. He doesn't write his own emails. He doesn't read them. He I print them. Pay out no attention to the man up. behind the curtain. <laughs> yeah. Right. He could have been dead for 20 years, and this person is just keeping this whole practice going. Who knows? Uh, I, I I'm just the wizard. It's the man behind the curtain, and the man can, behind the curtain. Is, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, he he's not responding right now. Right. It's all sorry. paralegals <laughs> all the way down. He's yeah. asleep. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the real value for the chat GPT to your point with Morgan and Morgan and these other uh, types of things, what I see is um, if you could expose it to your own data, that's going to be the interesting thing. Like oh, yeah. if there was something like stable diffusion where you could run it locally and you could just basically use it for like, even just searching your own system for emails, for turns of phrase that you use for whatever, like even just as, as glorified search, it would be fantastic. If you ran ChatGPT on your own writing, would it be like when you listen to your own voice on a recording and you just hate it and you're just like, oh, this is the worst thing I've ever heard? Uh, it might be, yeah. You, yeah. you wouldn't or be able to read like, it. Or it validates you. And it's like, oh, this right. is this writing's so good. Oh I knew my I was gosh. right, yeah. 
it's like that we talked we talk about the YouTube algorithm uh, uh, radicalizing you. This would radicalize you with your own writing. It would just keep feeding your own opinions back to you, slightly tweaked up, and you would get more and more incensed, and it would just yeah, yeah. This uh, AI is brilliant. A literal right. echo chamber, like right. literally your own voice bouncing back right. over and over. Slightly different it. words, and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Sell me on that, OpenAI. Oh, I, I so Open. OpenAI is this is costing them money, right? Because it's all free right now. I saw some estimates that ChatGPT is cost costs like three million dollars a month to run or something like that. Which oh it yeah, doesn't it seem like that much. It, well, I mean, I think they had some. They were having some big traffic problems there for a while. You would try to use it and it would say, "I'm sorry, we're under heavy, you know, load and stuff." So I think they've been basically adding servers pretty regularly. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think they're just burning through um, VC money because. The problem, I mean, so the the joke answer I heard, I don't, I don't, this may be apocryphal, but I heard someone say that the CEO was quoted in an interview. This is this is heard someone say, heard someone say. So if he didn't say this, then he didn't say this. <laughs> that when it comes time to monetize, they would ask the AI how best to monetize <laughs> the system. Hmm. And so he, he may have been a little, you know, being cheeky that's about it. But that's yeah, that's clever if it if he actually said that. Yeah, I I don't. I do wonder how they're going to like my what I guess is initially they'll charge for API access. So maybe they'll keep chat GPT that, that interface like the chat interface open. But if you want hmm. to say streamline it into Microsoft Word so that as I um, st- begin to type, you know, dear so and so or whatever, it sort of predicts my my letter for me. You know what I mean? Like it, it rolls hmm. in the the AI language generation stuff into some other program. You would need to pay for the API access. I think that, that you know that's that's a way that, that those sorts of services often go, and that is how they've monetized um, the earlier GPT models. There's several other models that have not been sort of forced into this chat system, and so they're a little bit more kludgy to, to actually use. Um, they have so many API calls or so many calls in general per uh, month that are free, and then beyond that, you have to pay. And so there are multi-million-dollar startups that have uh, you know multi-million-dollars VC funds. So like, who knows if this is really multi-million dollars? But it's monopoly that, it's money barely exists. Yeah. yeah, monopoly money, multi-million-dollar startups that have um, cropped up and sold already. One of them that comes to mind was a copy uh, generation um, ser- uh, software. Um, software as a service. Basically, you enter some details about your company, it generates all the copy you need for the website. And there you go. And so that Mm. company was was making, you know, I don't know, $100,000 a month or something. And um, they sold to one of the big like, uh, Andreessen Horowitz or something. Um, And so I could see something like that API calls. But yeah, as of right now, they are unquestionably burning through millions of dollars, some of which is, uh, I believe, Elon Musk's money. Oh, Great. Yeah, big... yeah OpenAI, he was involved in that somehow, right? Yeah, he, he's got some weird thoughts about AI. He he <laughs> seems to he sort of like thinks Terminator's a documentary and he's afraid that like things could actually go that way. But he seems to be wanting to fund it also and he's made yeah. some <laughs> What's he doing with OpenAI then? He's like uh, chat GPT is gonna throw out the robot manifesto at some point, and then we're gonna have a a real problem on our hands. It's it's over. Yeah, our chats will never be the same. Yeah. So one of the best implementations of kind of procedurally generated stuff that I've seen is uh, pops up on the esq.social uh, Mastodon instance recently. And David Colarusso, who is just a brilliant dude. And like, I 
sometimes you see people online and you just think, I want to be this guy's friend. Like this guy seems great. Uh, David Call Russo is one of those guys for me. I would totally love to be that guy's friend, but he has Let's generated get him on the pod. This. Let's get him here. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Definitely. Sure. We're calling it, we're calling it a pod. We're crossing that line, huh? Yeah. All right. Okay. 31 minutes uh, in and we're a pod. Yeah. Yeah. We're a pod. Uh, but he has created this, uh, uh, I C Y M I in case you missed it law bot, uh, that basically has taken and distilled down to an account what would have been a much healthier version of like a social media algorithm. And so it crawls through the posts that have been made on a particular Mastodon instance for a day, things that have been posted, things that have been boosted, things that have been, I don't know if it covers things that have been favorited. Uh, and it digests it and distills it down to basically the best few topics of the day and kind of reboosts those things. And then it also procedurally generates it into a five-minute podcast, five to seven-minute podcast mm -hmm. that you can just listen to that will verbally cover the best news of the day according to this bot. I think that this, you know... He's going to learn from it. He's going to improve it. And there's going to be iteration on it. Uh, but this is, I think, one of the best applications of kind of machine learning to social media, uh, where he's created this bot that just does this great thing of distilling uh, a bunch of things that a bunch of nerdy lawyers are saying into a verbal medium. I think that's yeah. really cool. I, I agree. I said this on the on the uh, on s.social or Mastodon instance. Um, but I told him like, I think that this is, it's really filling the void on Mastodon, which is Mastodon doesn't serve you anything. Um, it's not pushing content to you. Right. And as much as I hated Twitter, like constantly trying to show me content about Connor Eats pants, destroying a Minecraft castle or something, something I didn't care about at all. Uh, I did miss seeing stuff that I wouldn't have seen otherwise. And like his bot really taught me, oh, there's a world where you can like opt into algorithms. You can be like, no, I don't want to see uh, whatever political thing. I don't I don't want to see Minecraft influencers fighting. I only want to see my influencers fighting. I only want to see, <laughs> uh, you know, in, in case you missed it, law stuff. And I am really hopeful. I'm sure he's not the only guy around doing this kind of thing. But man, I, at some point I can just follow a bunch of bots and that'll be my algorithmic content. I can even have it as a list and and right. just have an algorithm feed and my 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 people that I'm actually following on purpose feed and have those basically do everything that Twitter wants to do. Everything that the algorithm tries to do for you. Without Did the, you just come up? Did you just mm -hmm. come up with that phrase yourself, the opt-in algorithm? Because I love that. I think that's great. Yeah. yeah. That uh, I said it to him earlier, like to, like three days ago or whatever. But yeah, yeah. if it's you didn't just that. coin that phrase, if you didn't just coin that phrase, you absolutely need to like trademark it right now. Opt-in algorithm. Oh, yeah. algorithm. I like it. Uh, unfortunately, Cola Russo already knows it. So he's gonna he he's a smart enough guy to go grab that. So he's you got know what? He deserves already. it. He, he does. Deserves he it. deserves it. Yes. I don't know. You mentioned that if you're sure other people are doing it, I have not seen any other uh, similar bots. Like I, there may be other people doing it. I'm sure people are thinking about it or working on it. But he's definitely, as of now, on the bleeding edge. I think. And and yeah, I couldn't say it better than you said it, Jake. I mean, 
the idea like the the aspect of twitter that surfaced things that you had missed was not the problem to me anyway it was that it was who was deciding what it was that i had missed and how it was often not even anyone I was following, right? This is something where it's like it's limited to this, these, this one instance where he may have actually uh, exposed it to like legal.social or, or lawbuilders.something yeah. or other. So there may be a couple different instances, but it's like a closed universe of what mm-hmm. is going, what I, what I missed, right? Well, also so, he follows specific accounts, I think. So he exposes right. it to both instances and accounts. And so right. if there's any like, spe- like uh, you could have like, rock band bot that follows only paramour and you know whatever whatever other rock bands still exist of course paramour is your example yeah of course paramour Paramour and radiohead the only two important rock bands still in existence and you're the youth Uh, correspondent yes i'm the youth correspondent (laughs) okay okay just to be the youth don't uh the youth don't listen to rock uh, i don't know if you know this oh yeah yeah (laughs) the youth listen to something called trap um trap trap yes okay i don't know what that is that's one of those things that uh, i've heard it for like 15 years be referred to and i should have asked that meme of like it's mm-hmm. too late now to ask i should have asked 15 years ago and now i just have to kind of nod along oh yeah sure it sounds all it all sounds like trance music or like like techno to me i can't tell the difference uh, no it's no it's not, not even trans. close it's, it's definitely not, not, not even close yeah man how is it that i'm the oldest person on here and i <laughs> am the most in touch with the youth jake uh, that's I, not true we need to revisit so, that's cool we yeah. need to revisit your uh, youth <laughs> correspondence status here because it's not it doesn't seem to be working out. I'm a mere 35 years old, so I get to say I'm the youth correspondent. OK, <laughs> that's how it works. So on the topic of AI, um, one sort of issue that some folks are concerned about, and I was wondering what you guys think about it is um the concept of AI is basically stealing other people's work. Right. And so there are two. Mm-hmm. Um, not I won't say applications, but two two sort of fields or areas where this is most apparent, and I hear it the most. Uh, one is in art, in like generating like like graphic, like visual art, and the other is in code. Because um, I've also experimented with uh, a thing called GitHub Copilot, which I'll, I'll be really quick with because it's geeky and boring. But um, basically, what it is is it's a plugin for um, uh, Microsoft, uh, not Microsoft. What is it? Visual Studio Code which is a, an application for writing code. And what Copilot does is if you just write in comments the description of what you want a particular like module or sub-portion of a program to do, it will sort of uh, auto-generate what it thinks is a pretty good approximation of um, how you would go about doing that. And it really is you know, pr- pretty useful. It's good for checking your code. It's good for getting some ideas because a lot of times half the deal, half the sort of work in writing a program is figuring out how to do something. Like, you know, generally I have to write a module here that will uh, hash this this input of, of a password um, into uh, just its, its hash format. It's, you know, SHA-256 or something. And um, you know that that's what you want to do, but you don't really know how to do it. And so long story short, it can do that for you. It's pretty good. The big complaint, and there's a lawsuit pending for it, is that uh, basically every GitHub repo, and GitHub, for people who don't know, is just basically a giant repository of source code. People who are willing to open the source code to their programs and show people like the, the recipes for making these programs, just upload it to GitHub, and they're all in these repositories. GitHub Copilot was created by exposing an AI to all of that code. And so the concern is, if I... Um, have the AI generate a uh, a login screen on on uh, from uh, GitHub Copilot, 
it may just be pulling the login screen that you meticulously wrote um, for your program that is uploaded on, on GitHub. It's not necessarily even homogenizing like multiple login screens the way one would assume ChatGPT is, right? Like everything ChatGPT is saying to you, it has seen somewhere else, but you hope that it's atomized sufficiently that it's not taking whole sentences from copywritten works. Uh, with code, there's only so many ways to do a lot of different things that you have a much bigger chance of running into. Like literally, this is a line of code that you took from my GitHub repository and I didn't give you permission to do that. And the same thing kind of goes um, for art. And so the general idea of like the general topic I thought we could talk about, or it wasn't actually my topic, it was either the AIs or one of you guys, is just the idea <laughs> of is AI stealing work from people? Like is how do you sort of square that circle to say that that's okay, right? I, I think I, I put this on here. And um, by the way, the the code that people put onto GitHub, they get to like choose the license that you other people get to use it under, right? So they can be like, right. you only get to use it if blah, blah, blah. And then yes. uh, so the commercial has use, to be attributed. Yeah. And mm -hmm. but then Copilot might, ste might steal that language. And yeah. not, and it doesn't give you any of that attribution or anything like that. Any of the, the license might be violated, even if it's not a cut, like, I guess that would still right. make it a copyright violation because you're violating the license. Uh, but yeah, right. that's yeah. another concern is that it's taking all of this language without regard to the license and possibly yeah. we, I guess, well, we don't know, uh, right. filtering it through to other, to people who want it. Um, yeah, I, I think was that their argument is that it was only, you know, uh, just to be clear, I, I think that that's sort of the the crux of the lawsuit. I think their argument is that it was only things that were issued under the public domain. And so, like, they could do this. They could, you know, mm -hmm. or or some one of the Creative Commons licenses that allows um, no attribution and okay. um, commercial use or something. I, I, I believe that's what they're saying. And I think that's sort of where the, the argument is. But the other okay. side, the concern is that uh, I think some people found some lines of code that seem to come from things that were non-commercial attribution required. And obviously there's no attribution because it's just plucking that line of code. But yes, I'm sorry. Go on. But, yeah, I put I put this on the list because it reminded me of so it reminded me of the uh, the opinion of Judge Kaczynski, who um, he, which you may remember from uh, where it was Vanna White sued somebody over an ad which had a robot version of Vanna White doing a mm. um, Wheel of Fortune kind of thing, saying that it like violated her right of publicity or something. It was clearly not Vanna White, but it was right. obviously a reference to her. And Kaczynski actually wrote it a dissent talking about how important it is that people be able to, that uh, there be a healthy public domain of works that take inspiration from copyrighted work. And so if you were a human and specifically talking about an AI creating art, if you were a human and you were looking at like a modern art thing, you could, and it's like, you know, just a bunch of solid reds and some oranges and a pattern, you should be able to take inspiration from that right. and do something very similar. And I think the concern here is that so this this isn't that different from it if it's actually transforming it. It's a little different if they're just like stealing lines of code from right. a code repository. Yeah. But yeah. like art is like looking at the general, you know, artistic configuration of something and then 
transforming it into something that looks like it. And it's kind of like, you know, putting it through a filter. It's similar to what people do with inspiration in public domain. I think the main worry that a lot of people actually have, the thing that's like cutting to the core is that uh, it, <laughs> a lot of people don't really care about the artistic process. And it might become right. so the the ease with which you can create art with this might become like a real problem. Um, and I that is a little concerning to me. I don't know what the legal response to that could be. The idea that it just becomes so easy to make art that like artists get put out of work and then the universe that is that is art gets smaller because it's fewer people right. are, are doing it. Um, it's not great. Um, but that's I, a good point. I, also, I mean, yeah, go ahead. It, it, it will, it will, I mean, I think it has already eaten the lunch of a lot of like stock image, uh, services and things like where you don't particularly care. You just want, you know, good. a picture of a man Eat standing in a field, right? Yeah. <laughs> a picture of a man. I'm so in a field. I'm, if, if you're eating Getty images lunch, like Godspeed, go, <laughs> go for it. I agree. And I mean, I think to sort of to Jake's point, it's not as though those, uh, uh, stock image services were cutting huge checks to these these the artists that were the original you know photographers or painters or whatever the hell it was right so it's not like it's really taking money out of artists that wasn't taking like shutting down stock image companies is not going to be taking very much out of the pockets of individual creators anyway yeah yeah and i also all this ar ai art for now it looks pretty similar to each other mm. um and so i can't totally I can't totally tell, or I can't tell with 100% certainty when something's created by AI, but I have a pretty good idea because there's something a little weird about it um, a lot of the time. It's like and the Uncanny so, Valley. Yeah. People, there's there was definitely this fantastic still be, uh, Twitter thread. Of, there was this oh, fantastic about Twitter the, thread. Yeah, go ahead. About yeah, Kermit, Kermit the Frog. About. Like, uh, show me, a, create a picture of Kermit the Frog doing this or that in the style of this or that. Uh, and it was like, show me Kermit the Frog in the style of like, uh, I don't know, who's the famous anime director who does the uh, Spirited Away and all that stuff. Like Hayao Miyazaki. Yeah. Show me Kermit the Frog sipping Lipton tea in the style of Miyazaki or something like that. <laughs> those get really, really good. And they honor oh, wow. the, uh, the description that you're giving to it. Uh, but, uh, you know... I, I may be the dork on here who's going to quote the Bible, uh, but uh, I can't help but thinking of Ecclesiastes where it says, what has been is what will be. What has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. And like, that's what this is about. So this is taking old things and uh, splicing them, combining them, iterating on them in a way that's new and interesting to some people. And like, is that a copyright violation? I don't know. Like, is it a copyright violation when I go and I look at, uh, or I get this idea, somebody prompts me, somebody gives me a commission to draw a picture of Kermit the Frog in sipping Lipton tea in the style of Miyazaki. Like, obviously I've been given all of the parameters here and I'm supposed to mimic this art style and mimic this character. Am I committing a copyright, copyright violation? Maybe I don't know. Is Kermit copyrighted? <laughs> but uh, like, I, I so I'm not a copyright lawyer. I super yeah. Bosses. None of us are IP lawyers. Yeah. None of us are IP lawyers. Yeah, no. this is definitely not <laughs> copyright legal advice. 
But like, there's nothing new under the sun. The right. AI is doing something that a human could do and would do if somebody paid him 50 bucks on DeviantArt or what other, whatever other uh, Etsy, uh, you know, yeah. is it better or worse for that to be done by an AI or a human? I don't have the answer to that, but there's nothing. If a human did it, I would say that's really cool. If I saw a human that a human work of Kermit the Frog and the style of Miyazaki, I would have been like, wow, great job. That's super cool. I love this. Uh, I thought you were going to talk about the um, phenomenon, how like certain art algorithms, if you say the right words, they all reproduce a very spooky woman. I don't know if you've seen that, that thing. I have. Yeah. That is very freaky. It's like some mathematical average of a woman's face, and that apparently is very disquieting to it is the human horrific. psyche. Uh, yeah. Is this we'll the put thing that was circulating? Donuts. Is that the, the thing that was circulating months or years ago? Like Momo? Is that what that is? Yes. It's Momo. Oh, yeah. That's horrifying. I think it's that's Momo. No, no. Yeah. I, I'm a no no for Momo. I've yeah. been trying if to it's get. Actually uh, Momo, it's, it's close. I've been trying to get Crayon to make Momo, and uh, <laughs> Crayon being what they call Dolly Mini now. Uh, right. and, uh, I tried a little bit, um, but yeah, I'm, maybe they have anti-Momo technology now. Uh, I don't know. I uh, mean, I, I think to your point, it, it's like with the, nothing new under the sun, it's a tool like any other. Right. And I remember when Photoshop was, was first beginning to like really get good. There was the same discussions of like, you're not going to be able to trust, uh, anything you see anymore. Uh, that's it. You know what I mean? Every, every photo you see is going to be uh, touched up and airbrushed and everything. And to an extent, that's true. And we have seen that. But um, it, it's an interesting question t- as to like what can be done about it. If the, like, may, is, this an, is this an unalloyed good? Maybe not, but it's happening, right? And so yeah. what are we really going to do about it? And I don't think there's putting, there's any way to sort of like put the toothpaste back on the tube on this. You know what I mean? The, these AI generated art, th- the, the, the art generating things, they've already ingested all of the, the collected world knowledge and every piece of art that is available online. It's over. And so I guess there will be lawsuits, right? And I'm sure there'll be some money exchanging hands and things, but it's not going to be undone. They're just going to pay for the right to continue to do this. So I don't know a lot about copyright, but I do know uh, one phrase that is, I promise, taken from copyright law is slavish copy. Uh, And uh, the real question to me, it seems like as somebody who doesn't know the first thing about copyright law, except for a very limited thing. So maybe the first thing, but not much beyond that. Uh, If it is a slavish copy, like taking that one line of code from somebody's uh, GitHub commit uh, and... uh, just duplicating that that's a slavish copy but if somebody is or if a person or a machine is iterating on something in a meaningful way that changes it and adds something to it or comments on it in some way uh, i think that's interesting and at least worth having around and probably not a slavish copy in the sense of literally all you did was make a xerox of this thing like That's the kind of thing that we're worried about. And obviously that stuff is probably bound to happen where you end up with those just straight up copies. Um, And those ones probably do deserve to see some repercussions for just the straight up copy. But meaningful and interesting iterations like uh, I just I just had it pulled up here. Uh, A still of Kermit the Frog in Blade Runner 2049. Like. Oh. that's cool and interesting. And I want that stuff to exist and it can exist if a computer generates it or a human generates it. 
and I'm excited to see it either way. That's cool. When, is that, when are we going to have an AI that makes movies just so I can see the Muppets Bleed Winner 2049? I, I want to see not that. Long. It's yeah. not long. I, mean, I think it's not long. There have there, <laughs> been some uh, uh, applications that have like small animations, like very low frame rate, simple animations. But yeah, I don't know if you guys have seen um, it doesn't they don't Dolly doesn't handle like human faces very well. And so I've seen some of the no. more famous examples. Like one of them was like, uh, show me Danny DeVito eating a banana and like his face and the banana are not really discernible as being separate. It's, it's, it's a, it's a horror show. It's the Momo thing. Right. So I think we're a ways off before those sorts of things can, um, uh, can have like we can have you know full mm-hmm. animated human beings, photograph style, you know what I mean? Like photography quality, type uh things but yeah i agree i think this is it's a tool like any other it's um i don't want to say it's much to do about nothing but i the the hand wringing that seems to happen every time something new comes out as to you know this is going to put uh, tons of people out of work this is going to you know close doors for a lot of different people it's just, i mean the same thing is going on in the coding community there are some people that are concerned that um ai is going to take their job like simple coders jobs right because it can be done by um github copilot or honestly chat uh gpt but um i don't know if you guys have seen it all the other thing is that there's a a whole marketplace for prompts people are selling just the prompts required to um generate a certain piece of art because it is like its own thing its own skill to kind of learn how to you know how to get the perfect kermit uh drinking tea and so the the analogy I've heard made there is like, how is that like the initial the, the first cut of that is like, that's insane. Who's paying for these prompts? Right. But how is that different from source code for a given program? Really? Right. It, this is the code that generates this program. This is the code that generates this image. What's the difference? I would love to see how long know. these prompts that are that that would generate like. That that's it, a good question. That would be that would uh, justify paying for paying for it. Um, but yeah. also, would it not just produce the same thing over and over? I guess I can tell there's some degree of randomness in Crayon. Yeah, uh, yeah it doesn't generate the, the same, same stuff. Thing. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely some it, degree. I, it arrives at it, I think, through through different routes, basically, like mathematically. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it 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 takes your terms and goes in different directions with it, but you know, between yeah. different times. Yeah. But um, on we're running a little uh, low on time here. But the other thing we really want to talk about, which I think segues right in, because it is basically technology run amok is the story ai ish right yeah is this story about the lawyer who we should sort of set it up a little bit in case people haven't read it there was a lawyer from new jersey like me new jersey hey look at that who went to i think a rock show (laughs) at uh, madison square garden and apparently was pretty quickly i think she was like with her children it's as bad as it could be right in that regard (laughs) And she was like pretty quickly beset upon by the security security guards. And they said, you know, you have to leave because uh, your firm is engaged in some sort of litigation with, I assume, MSG, Madison Square Garden or whatever the, the you know parent company of that is. And she was uh, escorted out. She said that like she doesn't even I don't think practice that type of law. Someone in her firm, I think, is, is you know, engaged in litigation with MSG, but she wasn't. And so this mm-hmm. was sort of a minor kerfuffle in the legal community for a little while. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, it, well, it wasn't it wasn't even a lawsuit against Madison Square Garden. It was a lawsuit against a restaurant that MSG Entertainment owns uh, in a different state mm. with a different attorney, like totally unrelated. Uh, wow. I think it was actually Radio City, she, Radio City Music Hall. But yeah, she oh, okay. was totally 
there is no logical connection between her and that lawsuit. Uh, but yeah, the of course the most the tech hook with this being that they discovered her through facial recognition, which is kind of like, uh, which I guess they started earlier this year. Um, right. Kind of the confession that they don't they don't actually have a good justification for this, other than if you sue us, we're gonna uh, we're gonna harass you. We're gonna we're gonna feed in we're, law firms headshots and 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 just yeah. not let you go see the rockets. Yeah, no sane person does that for like good reasons. Um, and they're getting no. sued, by the way. I don't know if you knew that, but uh, no, this she is not the first attorney to have this happen to her. And uh, they're getting sued by multiple law firms on multiple theories. One of them is saying that they should lose their liquor license because the liquor license has like public at- accommodation requirements or something like that, where you're only oh, right. allowed to kick people out for specific reasons. Um and they're they're alleging that, or they're they're saying that it's like on the contract when you purchase a ticket, right? Or it's like on the back of the. It's like when you go to a baseball oh, game. They say if you get if you get hit with a foul ball, it's that's on you or whatever. Is it? I don't know. Oh no, I, the, that's what, I think that's what they're saying. Oh okay, yeah. They said they said that this is like a security concern or something like that. That they, like it's right. a naturally uh, a oppositional environment when a lawyer that's suing us comes into, which is like such BS. I don't know. So. James Dolan is uh, runs MSG Entertainment. Um, okay. James Dolan, who owns the Knicks and owns the Rangers, uh, and is famously uh, everybody hates him uh, for many reasons, uh, not just for being a bad owner, like in terms of producing wins, but like is apparently just a big ass, and that's just like his thing. And so this is not, this is completely consistent with his character. Um, Jake, I gotcha. hope you never wanted to go see anything at Radio City Music Hall or Madison. Oh, yeah. Congratulations. Now, now you're on an excu- exclusion list yeah, too. Yeah, please. James Sending Dolan, I'm your coming for right you. Now. I'm not afraid of you, James Dolan. Uh, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, it's, this is like one of the reasons why some people like to get rich is so that they can do whatever they want to people and right. can bully. And this is, this I know it's a tech story because it's kind of freaky that like, oh, dang, I'm on a I'm on a law firm because my my face exists next to my name. People can know where I am. Uh, And that's freaky a little bit. Uh, But I'm glad that we are kind of acknowledging it because, man, that information has been out there for a while, I feel like. Um, So. So a couple of other interesting tidbits in this to just really zero in. And we'll put the link to this article in the New York Times in the show notes here. Uh, she was chaperoning her nine-year-old daughter's Girl Scout troop on a oh, trip man. to <laughs> see this. And so, like, uh, you know, we I, I have a 10-year-old and an 8-year-old. So I roughly understand what the implications would be here. Huge embarrassment for the parent. Huge embarrassment for the child. And uh, what happened was the guards, the security guards, identified her using a facial recognition system. And apparently she was on something called an attorney exclusion list, which doesn't just (laughs) bring in the people who have ticked off James Dolan. It brings off all of their law partners, all of their associates, anybody who's in a firm that is associated with a lawyer who has ticked off James Dolan. And this is in a spot where like, we're talking about Radio City Music Hall, uh, which right. is like one of the fabled concert venues in New York City and probably the world. 
And uh, now somebody can be excluded from there using facial recognition software, not because they've done something bad, not because they've committed a crime or done something <laughs> offensive to, you know, the owner of the uh, of the venue, right. but because they're associated even like really loosely with somebody who's done something to tick off the owner of the venue. I hope that James Dolan and MSG Entertainment get their backsides handed to them in a civil lawsuit. I don't know what the uh, legal foundation is for it, but like, <laughs> there's this old there's this old Shakespeare uh, quote that comes up in my mind from time to time, where he said, "I don't, I have no idea what it was in. I could probably look it up. I could definitely look it up. Chat GPT knows, I bet. Good test. Um, <laughs> but it says, uh, do as adversaries do in the law, uh, strive mightily and eat and drink as friends.' Like we got to be able to separate this stuff from the courtroom advocacy, from legal advocacy, and then like." Uh, here, let me go destroy your, not destroy your life. Her life's not destroyed. Let me humiliate you in front of your nine-year-old. Yeah, <laughs> it's humiliating to be yeah. to be kicked out of this venue for like not a good reason. She wasn't like drunk and disorderly. Uh, she got kicked out of this venue because some partner of hers uh, in another state did something that this guy doesn't like. Yeah. There's got to be some separation there. I mean, I think there has to be, this is all stuff that, we're going to see more of because this is only enabled through technology, right? If right. this was something where they just had like shown a picture, a printout of her from her website, uh, or, you know, all the attorneys from from the firm, right? Obviously, it's not just the one that was actually involved in the litigation. So you have to have a, a printout of all the, the, the whole handout and you hand it out to all the security guards. You say, do me a favor at this massive venue with all these people. If you see this woman, make sure she's thrown out. The odds of them finding her and throwing her out are pretty slim. So like this couldn't happen until a few years ago. And so I, I don't know what the legal basis is for not being permitted to do this, but I think yeah. it has to be formed. And I, I think the only reason it doesn't exist is because it hasn't had to be an issue before well, now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, this is, you know, private property. Uh, really, right. this is basically a uh, this is a, you know, a rich jerk story that happens to have a tech angle because right. if she was if they caught her through traditional means. It's just like, oh, man, that that guy's like it probably doesn't even generate a headline. Uh, but what I but it's going to be so easy to be a jerk now. It's going to be so much easier to be a jerk. Kicking it's automated. Yeah. Stuff. Um, though, I do think that the reaction to this is maybe extremely low tech anti facial recognition technologies. Uh, I don't know. Uh, oh, I'm, you know, masks, for example, um, right. which we were all wearing for a little bit. Um, and some of us still are, uh, mm -hmm. like, I mean, dang, this where, like, if you are, if you want to go to Madison square garden and you, uh, and you maybe, I, you don't know, maybe your firm has sued James Dolan. <laughs> right. Uh, your brother-in-law is a paralegal at a law firm that once sued him personally yes. for not paying a bill somewhere. You've got to wear a mask now. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Maybe, maybe you're still a cautious individual and you're maybe just throw one on. Um, yeah. yeah. Or, you know, maybe there's going to be higher tech stuff that comes out at some point. So you don't have to wear anything or, or look silly by taping your nose to your <laughs> mouth. Or <something>. I don't <laughs> know. Um, 
I got a lot of ideas. Uh, that that lawyer should hit me up about all my ideas about uh, you know, circumventing facial recognition technology. It all involves anyway. scotch tape in your nose. That's, <laughs> yeah, scotch tape. That, but they're <laughs> right. Okay, I'm actually tapped out. Those are my two ideas. <laughs> okay, so I think we were uh, probably going to head into just sort of talking a little bit quickly about what's going on in our lives. Um, just mm-hmm. you know, recommendations, general general things. Um, mm-hmm. You get to go uh, first. I Sure, yeah. I'll go first. So um, the the only thing that's been going on with me lately, really, is I wrote an article that has me being accused of um, being like a, a right wing uh, propagandist. I, I, I basically I wrote an article for I write uh, I have a column for Bloomberg Tax and I wrote an article uh, that has the thesis that we should be uh, we should consider whether or not uh, Trump's tax returns should be released to the public, like basically what um you know what 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 end this serves and How so for those who don't you? know i know that's pretty much what i've been <laughs> i've been called a fascist no there's a there was a president um from 2016 right. to 2020 he uh, was in home alone 2 he's the uh-huh. guy who tells uh uh kevin McAllister. Yeah. uh you know he, he says down the hall and to the left and if you notice kevin McAllister goes down the hall and to the right and he was reaches also the lobby. he was also so he was lying there was he Yes, okay. he was in Zoolander, Zoolander talking about how big Derek Zoolander is, I be- or Hansel, I forget, one of those two. Oh, okay. Famed wrestler also, Donald, Donald J. Trump, yeah. was the 45th president of the United States of America for four years from 2016 to 2020, and he didn't release his tax returns. He kept promising, saying he would, uh, but he said he was under audit. He said he couldn't. There's all sorts of you know reasons that he gave that were not probably true. Um now, uh, through the House Ways and Means Committee, it looks like they're going to be released to the public, uh, probably as we record this tomorrow. And so I wrote uh, a column just basically saying I, I don't really understand. I don't, I, I'm struggling to see the justification for releasing the returns. And I open with saying that I'm not defending uh, the president, uh, President mm-hmm. Trump, former President Trump, as an individual or in his presidency. But I don't see what what like individuals can do what the public can do with any information found in there if he committed a crime the attention and effort should be put towards charging him and none i like i I firmly believe that some of the impetus to hold him to account is sort of the pressure is released by doing something like releasing these returns to the public and um him being sort of publicly embarrassed and i don't think that that's a stand-in for uh, moving forward with if the returns contain evidence of a crime, prosecuting him, just like you would prosecute anyone who commits tax fraud. Tax is one of the few areas where uh, it's relatively clear cut. If you took a deduction for something that isn't a valid deduction, that's not a valid deduction. That's it. If you lied on a form, if you did something uh, to falsify records, that's fraud. That's tax fraud. That's it. It's really not something that's subjective, particularly. I mean, there's you know there's some play around the edges and stuff, but Pro- in general, a lie is so difficult. Let me tell you. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Especially in a technical thing like that. But, yeah. And so, anyway. uh, I, my my just that was my overarching sort of thesis, and I had some pushback. I I didn't get. I think because of the holidays, I, I there were the crazy people were sort of busy, and so they didn't have the same sort of time and energy to uh, devote to me. So I didn't get any voicemails threatening my life or anything like that. I got a couple of people on Mastodon accusing me of being like you know a, a right wing propagandist or something. Um, you dropped but, your spiciest takes at the on Friday nights at five p.m. Uh, before major yeah, just, holidays. Yeah, slip it in under the radar. Nobody yeah. knows. Make sure you know the big guy is is happy with what I said, and then I move on. Yeah, that's how Bloomberg um, likes it. Low readership. 
We know. No re- yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Yeah. They don't want any, no eyeballs. Just get no. those terrible takes out there and that's it. Yeah. And I just so, want to be uh, clear. That was irony. That was <laughs> irony. Yeah, yeah. Which one? I think yeah. all of it. Yeah. yeah. I, I was well, going to say what specifically? Oh yeah. All of it. Please read my column. Please. Anyone <laughs> <who's done. laughs> Please read my column. Thank you. My children are starving. Um, so that's all that's going on uh, uh, with me. Uh, how about you guys? Uh, well, I, you know, it's Christmas. Uh, I don't have anything quite that exciting. Um, I, well, it's actually more exciting, maybe. I don't know. I think it's uh, more my exciting. Wife, yeah, my wife bought me a Steam Deck, which if you don't know, it's like a Nintendo Switch, but for PC games. And uh, Super cool. man, that's a good, if you want to be able to sit on your couch with like your family or whatever and be able to play whatever you and want. Ignore it's them. like a and and ignore them, yeah. Um <laughs> that's but, the dream. You you have something bigger than your phone all of a sudden. Something bigger and more capable than your phone. Um but it's so it's really well made uh and the the funniest but the battery life. So it's good. It plays games that you wouldn't think that you w- could run on a little thing like this on a switch size right. thing. Uh, but the battery lasts like two and a half hours, uh, which mm. is not great. And it, it gets so hot when I like <laughs> within five minutes, I turn it on. I can just tilt it towards myself and get a blast of hot air constantly. Just right at my face. I actually used it to warm up my hands when it was really cold over, over Christmas. And by the way, it was really, it was like fire. 30 in Florida. So we were just dying here. Uh, but yeah, wow. I highly pain. recommend for anybody that uh, that plays games on their PC and uses. I don't want to put you on the spot, but do you know off the top of your head, like what is it? Is it running Android and is it like a like an Intel chip? Like it, what? It runs Linux. Uh, I okay. think it uses an AMD GPU. Um, okay. Yeah, it's it's very capable for it's. There's, uh, I think there might be a three hundred dollar version, and then there's like four hundred and five dollar, uh, five hundred dollars. Uh, but it's very capable for the price. They're definitely taking a loss on that one. Um, it'll run Elden Ring. It'll run. I'm playing a game wow. called Disco Elysium on it right now, which came out like three years ago and is like pretty demanding. A Switch couldn't run this for sure. It's so funny because every seal of approval. Yeah. Every time I see your name pop up on Steam, it's because you're playing something, some Vampire Diaries or something like that. Uh, vampire Survivors <laughs> is very yeah, different. There you go. That, that's all that's where we see you log it into on Steam. Yeah. Uh, vampire titles, Survivors, <laughs> I also recommend, that's on your phone. That's on iPhone for free. You can play that for free. Um, I don't need to have a big thing for that. This is the really hard hitting stuff here. Uh, my recommendation is going to be, uh, so it's not actually going on in my life right now. It's something that happened in my life recently. Uh, early in December, I took my family to Disney World in Orlando uh, and didn't bother to go see Jake while I was there. But uh, yeah, that was really uh, messed up. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Yeah, I'm I'm not a good friend. Uh, but uh, recommendation wise, the recommendation is this. Uh, the coolest... Uh, amusement park attraction that I have ever been on is the new Guardians of the Galaxy Cosmic Rewind roller coaster in Epcot at Disney World. It is so cool. Uh, I strongly, strongly recommend it. Uh, it's funny how uh, so my family were big Disney nerds. We shortened it to Disney nerds. I don't think we made that up. But, uh, but like Epcot used to be the bummer park that your parents made you go to because they wanted to drink wine and eat food as they walked around the circle. Uh, and now 
it's like the best ride at Disney World is there. And now also I'm an old man. I was gonna say, I like oh now I'm the old. Lake. And this yes. is and now, this is how I get to drink wine. And walk oh, around yes. a little circle. <laughs> yeah. No drinking wine, but definitely stopped and basically tried absolutely every single thing from the bakery in yeah. the Norway section uh of Epcot, which is my people. Uh, and so, uh, recommendation, <laughs> go to Epcot at Disney World, uh, ride the Guardians of the Galaxy ride, and then stop at Norway's Bakery. I don't know what the name of it is. And get yourself a Norwegian school bread. Totally worth it. It's funny. So many of my friends come to Orlando for Disney and they're like, yeah, let's get together. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> we'll see. And then it's like, you know, they have kids and it's like, oh, planning a Disney vacation is like. Uh, a like a uh, wall-to-wall uh, drain and just like actually getting out of the, the out of the plan is just such a like an imposition it's like i'm i know okay if you can if you find a way to like if you ever find time to break away i know that it's taking up so much of your time uh anyway yeah uh, disney visiting the disney parks not not to put you on blast Visiting the Disney parks is like kind of my worst nightmare in a lot of ways. Uh, but I'm, I'm glad that so I'm many blast. people. Yeah. <laughs> so many. I'm glad We're so many people. My it. wife loves it. My wife loves it. Um, but like the it's. Uh, yeah. Um, I'm glad I get to see so many friends and my wife and my son love it so much. But man, being around that many people is like uh, the most intimidating thing. <laughs> that i can imagine anyway i'm with you all right i think uh we are all set and i realized i forgot to uh hit the uh the intro music so all this episode will have is the outro music but uh i think we could sign off right guys all right yeah thanks for listening to the first episode this is definitely the first episode there was never an episode before this that did not get intentionally released no other episodes exist we hope you enjoyed the first episode, episode when you deserve that episode audience <laughs> when you've See earned ya. it yes <laughs> <laughs>